for the next several uh, weeks, coming weeks, we are going to be looking at a sermon series that is titled Made for More. And this series is designed to help us understand that we, how we, how we can join God in revealing his kingdom to those around us. See, because oftentimes all of us are in different places on the spiritual spectrum, right? Some of us are so gung-ho to get people into the kingdom of God that we're, we're almost embarrassing to our friends when we go out. I know a lady that's like this, Roxana. She's not embarrassing, though. But you know what? When you're in a restaurant and the server comes and you just want to share the kingdom of God with everybody, but your friends are like, oh, here they go again. But then there's others who are so timid in their faith that it would take a miracle of God to get them to step out of their comfort zone and share their faith. And then where, there's, where most of us are at is kind of in the middle of that spectrum. And I think from time to time we go back and forth. We, you know, what I just described are what I would call the bookends of the spectrum, the, the, the two opposites. But oftentimes throughout our, our, our faith walk, we go a little bit back and forth. And that's where most of us are at. And I think sometimes we're a little more apt to hear God's voice when we're, we're kind of a little bit here and there. Like, like God, do you want me to press in? I, I sense you want me to press in. I, I sense you want me to kind of hold back a little bit. But as long as we're willing vessels, we're, we're in that somewhere where God wants to use us. And so for the next several weeks, we are going to discover that we are all made for more than what we are doing, no matter how on fire for Jesus we are or how maybe kind of not so sure we should be sharing our faith we are. We're all made for more. And, and today, what we're going to be looking at, we're going to start this series by looking at how we can play a part in the story, the story of God's kingdom here on earth. So we're going to, we're going to jump right into it, and we're going to look at a story in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to read this story, and then, and then I'm, I'm going to share with you a few of my thoughts about this, and then we'll just kind of dial it in. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. So here we go. On the other side of the lake, and we're going to, I'm going to, after we read this, I'm going to put some context to this. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered with, for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, this is an incredible story, and a lot of us, there's been thousands 
of sermons written on this story here. But just picture this with me for a minute. All right, The reason that Jesus was coming back from the other side of the lake, he was on the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and he came across this man that was demon-possessed. Okay, we're going we're gonna to just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on my world for a minute here when I read the scriptures. He comes across this guy who's demon-possessed. Jesus talks to the demons. Who are you? We are legion. There's many of them. And they know that he's the son of God. So they beg him, do not send us into the abyss. Don't send us to the bottomless pit. Send us into that herd of pigs over there. So Jesus gave them permission, that's what it says, to leave the man and go into that herd of pigs. And as soon as they do, the herd of pigs run off the cliff into the lake and drown. But the man is set free. Now this man, forgive my, my language here, he was probably known as the local crazy. Because he lived near the tombs, naked, bound in chains. Just the guy was a mess. Demon-possessed, just, just oppressed and tormented. Jesus comes along and sets him free. Now, I don't know why Jesus allowed the demons to go into the herd of pigs so they could run off the cliff. I used to have questions about that until I think I might know why. You see, what happened was, the, 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 the townspeople came out to see what was going on, and it says they found the man all cleaned up. He had his wits about him. He came to his senses, no longer demon-possessed. They weren't concerned about the man. They were concerned about their livelihood. They were concerned about the pigs. I wonder if maybe a part of that story we're supposed to pay attention to is the fact that they were more concerned about themselves than they were about this man who was the local demonic crazy guy that they told their kid, don't go over there. In the story, not one person said, look at this man. They all said, it says they got scared and they told Jesus to leave. He freaked them out, freaked them all out. So I just wonder, I, I just, you know, could that be why? So now, so Jesus says, well, nobody really cares, but... All right, we're out of here. Pack up your bags, boys. We're going to go back to the other side of the lake. And everybody gets in their boats. They go across the Sea of Galilee. Now, right before we pick up the story where we, pick, where we got to, it says that the crowds were waiting for him. How did they know he was coming back? Probably because there were other people in their boats that were like, let's, let's go, let's go. They got ahead of Jesus. You won't believe what happened over there. And the pigs and the, everything. Hide your livestock. He's coming to town. But that man that everybody talks about was delivered, set free. Jesus set him free. Yeah, all these demons spoke out of him. Oh, it was scary, but he set him free. Now these people are like, he's coming. To, he's here? Yeah, he's here. He's, he's, I think that's his boat right there. And then Jesus comes to the shore. And there's a man who is a leader of a local synagogue by the name of Jairus. And his 12-year-old daughter, his only child, is dying. He comes, he falls at Jesus' feet. Would you please help me? Something inside of him says, Jesus is the only one who can help me. Jesus says, yeah, I'll go. Lead the way. Now, here comes crowds of people. How many people? I don't know, 50, 100, 200 plus? 
the entire town, everybody? And, and, and picture this. It's such a chaotic scene. Anticipation, excitement, sadness, hope, depression, anxiety, everything. Jairus is, just doesn't know what to do. I mean, are the disciples like, oh, this is going to be a good one. Everybody, and they're pressing in, touching Jesus, this and that and the other, all this stuff. Clearly, it's pre-COVID because everybody was touching everybody. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Jesus goes, who touched me? Who touched me? Peter says, Jesus, everybody is, I mean, what do you mean who touched you? I mean, germs everywhere right now, Jesus. He goes, no, no, somebody deliberately touched me. I felt healing power go out. Now, now, pause with me for a minute, because now, here's this lady. Now, this lady, she had been suffering with this health issue, internal bleeding, well, I don't know what it was. Today, she could probably just get a prescription and be fine in days. Who knows? Twelve years she had been unhealthy. And with her condition, she was, she was unclean. She couldn't go to the synagogue, couldn't go to the temple, couldn't go to the Jewish festivals, had to announce that she was unclean wherever she went. She probably had no friends. She had nobody because whenever she went, people stood out of the way. It's an unclean person in the midst. Well, how did she get close to Jesus without touching anybody? Nobody knew she was there. She knew that Jesus could bring her the healing, but she had to get close to him, and she did. And I, 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 I could be wrong. I don't know. I think she just swiped the fringe. The New Living Translation, which I read from, says she touched the fringe of his robe. I think she just, she just barely got it, and phew, she felt healing, boom, instantly. And, and she's just like, but you can't share it. You know, here's the other thing. You hear the blind, there was two blind men there. Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. They're yelling out, trying to get his attention. Everybody always tried to get Jesus' attention. Not this lady. She snuck up from behind him because she couldn't be surrounded by all these people touching them and stuff. How many of the locals knew that she was weaving her way in there? She got her healing. And here's the thing. Many sermons have been written about this story. But did you know that she's not the only one who received a healing by touching the robe of Jesus? Listen to this in Matthew chapter 14. Now, in Matthew chapter 9 is the story of this lady. So this is after that. When the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread, spread quickly throughout the whole area. And soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. Interesting. Like... People were touching the fringe of Jesus' robe and receiving a healing. Now, in Malachi chapter 4, the Old Testament prophet, it says, the son of righteousness will have healing in his wings. Now, in the old days, the, the Levites, the Hebrews, the, 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 the rabbis, they wore these robes, and, and God said, you know, put these little tassel things on them and stuff. And it was said that when the wind blew in the right direction, it kind of looked like wings. 
The Messiah would come having healing in his wings. I don't know, because Jesus doesn't have wings, but could it be there was healing in the hem of his garment, in his robe, just by touching his robe? But again, back to the lady. Can you imagine having a health issue, a severe health issue for 12 years? Some of us right now have health issues we've been dealing with for one year, two years, five years, maybe more than 12. Where's my healing, God? Where is my healing? I don't know. But this lady, after 12 years, received her healing. You know, there's, a, there's an evangelist. His name is Todd White. Some of you might know him. He's a pretty cool-looking dude. He's got dreads. He, he does all the cool stuff. But he has this lady on his team. He prophesies. He heals. He, 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 br- he brings healing. He, he, he ushers in the kingdom of God is what he does. But there's a lady on his team. I think she's in a wheelchair. I can't really remember. But she's got an oxygen mask. Something. And she's not, she's, you know, she's like 30s or 40s or something. Where's her healing? She's out there doing the stuff. She's praying for people. She's, people are receiving healing. She's ushering in the kingdom of God. But she's got some health issues going on. She's not letting that stop her from becoming who Jesus created her to be kind of my point i don't know when our healing is going to come when we're searching for it i don't know but i do know that when we continue to press into jesus to listen to that voice of god's holy spirit to follow his lead healing will come i know this but here we go right 12 years 12 years this lady had been dealing with this you've come this far unnoticed right this is you you've been dealing with the health issue for 12 you've come this far unnoticed you 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 weaved and bobbed and worked your way through the crowd everybody's going crazy dust is it's just you know and you just swiped the bottom of his robe and healing happened instantly and then jesus goes who touched me and you're like Oh, thank you, Peter. He doesn't know who touched him. And he says, no, no. Stop. Crowd goes silent. Somebody deliberately touched me. I felt healing go out. I want to know who it is. Now this poor lady, she's had to yell, I'm unclean. She's She's not been able to do things. All of a sudden, right, she's dealt with, 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 with shame and, and humiliation, everything up to this point. And she feels the healing instantly. She knows she's healed. But now, now I have to answer for what I did. I touched other people. I'm unclean. Now I got to explain myself. And it says, as the entire crowd listened, she explained herself to Jesus. I cannot imagine the humiliation she was feeling when she had to explain that. But yet the excitement at the same time in knowing that she was healed. Is he going to scold me? Should I have not touched? Should I have asked? What's his response? Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. He doesn't even say sin no more. Go in peace. This is the humanity of Jesus, that he knows how broken and hurting people can be 
your faith. See, we don't even know her name. We don't know who she is. In that moment, all we know now is that she is a daughter of the King of Kings. He called her his daughter. He just elevated her to the highest level she's ever been in her life, or at least in 12 years. And some of us, you know, in this room, we're like, oh, I know this sermon. I know where we're going. Touch the hem of his garment. Hold on to it. Don't let go of the robe of Jesus. We're not going in that direction today. Even though that is true, we are going to do what the, okay, so you know how you take a, uh, like a diamond or a, or a gemstone and you look at it in, in the light and you turn it and you see a different characteristic, you have a different perspective of that? Well, there's an old rabbi saying, it's called turning the gem. And they would use this in the scriptures. They would call it turning the gem to get a different perspective on God. We're not digging up hidden truths and revealing things that nobody else knows but me. We're not doing that. We are going to look at this story. Now we're going to take a different perspective on this story. We're going to turn the gem, as the, as the rabbis used to say. Even though, yes, hang on to that robe of Jesus. Hold on to it. But here's the thing, church. This is where we're going to go with this. We want to be a part of the story that God is doing here on the earth, right? We want to be a part of helping break his kingdom in to a world of brokenness because we live in a world where humanity is broken, right? Hurting, lost, confused, like sheep without a shepherd is what the scriptures say. And all people need is to touch the robe of Jesus. But how do they do that? Do they even know him? How do they get to know him? Do they even know he's who they need? And furthermore, who is going to point them to Jesus? Essentially, those of us in this room that call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, believers, we are the robe. We're the robe to people. By pointing people to Jesus, by being a people that represent Jesus, we become the robe. We are the ones who usher in his presence. We are the ones that, that bring joy, that breathe life to the lost, to the hurting, to the confused, to the downtrodden, so that they can experience the same thing the woman in the story experienced. The kingdom of God came crashing into her life that day, and she was instantly healed, forever changed. You know, in Acts chapter 5, I'm doing a, uh, a, uh, a teaching series with, with some young people, and, and we're in the book of Acts, and we're in like chapter 7 right now. There's a main theme in there. You know what it is about the church, the early church? And the Lord added to their number daily. The church was growing. The church can't grow if we're not representing Jesus. The church can't grow if we're not becoming the robe to others. And in Acts chapter 5, listen, miracles and signs and wonders were happening and healings and everything was happening in the early church. And it doesn't stop at the book of Acts. It should never stop. We 
have the same power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had, that the early apostles had. Listen to this, Acts chapter 5. Sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. They didn't even need to touch Peter's robe. His shadow. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Could you imagine your shadow? Whew. Better hope you're placed on the right side of the street. <laughs> the power of God was so rich that healing was found in Peter's shadow. The presence of Jesus, Jesus was not physically present, and all who came to the apostles to the church were healed. What if we became a church like that? Everybody who raised their hand for prayer was healed, was delivered, was changed, was set free. All because all of us were working in one accord to usher in the kingdom of God. This, this not just could be, this should be us. Especially with what's happening it doesn't it seem like we're just we're on a fast track to the to the tribulation period like we are on a fast track we don't know how long but but just things are changing rapidly in the world around us we should be ushering in the kingdom of God in such a way that all who experience it are healed and changed and set free and delivered we are called to be a people who are not consumed with ourselves we don't care that this man was delivered jesus you destroyed our livelihood you're freaking us out man get out go get out of our town we need to be a people who can step away from our agenda for the day for a minute for an hour for whatever and recognize when somebody is reaching out to touch the robe of jesus because I can guarantee you they don't know what they're reaching for. And so what is it that maybe keeps us from being that person? We'll look at a couple of things. Here's my question. Could it be that some of us are just as broken now as when we first came to Jesus. Like, we're still dealing with issues we were dealing with when we first came to Jesus. You know, some of us are accepting and, and loving and, and forgiving and full of joy and hope and reconciliation and we're out there doing the stuff and nothing gets us down and we're just the, we're just, we just want people to experience what we're experiencing. But then some of us, this is why, this is why, this is why some people, you know, we are a, a group of people that are on all different spectrums in life. And maybe we've given up some things that we used to deal with, like addictions and, and certain physical things that we used to deal with. But there's internal things that have not been dealt with. And there's doubt and bitterness and unforgiveness and anger and judgment and hurt 
And we carry that with us as Christians. How do we mend our brokenness so we can be the person others see as an invitation to Jesus? Proverbs chapter 4 says this. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. See, we are both a natural and a supernatural being, right? And we live in both the natural and the supernatural. We can't break in the kingdom of God if we're not living in the supernatural, that's where that comes in, and then it crashes with the natural. But whatever is in our hearts is what affects everybody around us. Well, you don't know how bad that person hurt me. You don't know the things that have been done to me. You don't know how unfair life has been to me. And, and you're right. I don't know. But everyone around you is a recipient of the supernatural power that comes from within you. Now, I am not talking about the person who is working through their hurts and working through, you know, brokenness and working through this like, Jesus, I, I'm trying, God, I'm trying. Sometimes it takes years. Things have been done to us and it takes a long time to unravel some of that stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the person that's holding on to it. The person that can't let go of the hurt. The person that goes through life saying, I hope they get their just dues. They get their rewards that I'm hoping they get. I can tell you they're never going to get it. You're the only one doing it. That's what, what's that saying? That's like drinking poison and hoping it affects them. It's not going to happen. And they don't even know that you feel that way. See, we cannot hold on to past hurts and think that we're going to be productive in introducing Jesus to others. Again, when we're working through that stuff, I believe Jesus works on our timetable. And he says, I'm with you. I see you. We're in this together. It's going to take a while. But I got you. I'm talking about Jesus is saying, you have a broken heart, and I've been trying to bring the healing that you need, but you refuse to let go. You refuse to let go no matter how many times I knock at the door of your heart. You won't let me in to help you bring the healing that you need. See, everything about the kingdom of God hangs in the balance when we hold on to past hurts. Allow Jesus to bring the healing and then guard your heart above all else. And I don't mean put up walls and compartmentalize stuff. Guarding my heart means, means nobody comes around me. That's not guarding your heart. That's isolating yourself. Guarding your heart means using wisdom. Guarding your heart means these are who the, my inner circle people are. These are who my, my next to group people are. And these are my friends. 
who I hang out with, and they don't affect me because I've got an inner circle that helps me use wisdom in what I'm doing with my life and guarding my heart. Guarding your heart means that if you have certain addictions or certain issues that you don't go to websites anymore, you don't go to certain establishments anymore because you know that you can fall victim to whatever it is that you are drawn to. That's guarding your heart. It's using wisdom. Because the heart is what determines the course of our lives. Listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 5. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Give them to him. Give them to him. I even tell people, if you're upset about stuff, yell at God, not your children. Yell at God because he's a big boy. And he will take that and hopefully he will help you learn from that. You might be going off on him, and then all of a sudden you go, Oop, whoops, wait a minute, I know where that comes from. Because you, now you're listening to the Holy Spirit. Listen, give it all to God. He, he cares for you. He loves you so much that he will take all that anger and hurt and pain that you're carrying. That's what he died on the cross for. And then Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. We can't be walking in, 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 in spiritual inner healing if we don't allow God in to bind those wounds up. We'll, we'll continue to go through life hurting. And then again, everybody around us. You know, it's, sometimes it's the smallest thing, and then you just go off, and you just get mad, and everybody is a recipient of that. See, when the supernatural part of our being, our heart, our spirit, is healthy, we can become the robe of Jesus to those around us. And so, here's the other thing. People will be looking for us because now we are the ones who are ushering in that healing who are ushering in the kingdom of God, who are ushering in that freedom that they've been looking for. But how do we do this? How do I get to a point to where I can guard my heart? How do I begin that, that healing process? Well, Psalm 139 is a good place to start. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That is a challenging passage. I don't want God to reveal to me what I'm really like on the inside, do I? Do I really want to go there? Well, Here's the deal. God already knows what's in there. So why don't you let him help you get it out? I, I believe a couple of things that Jesus did while he was on this earth that we can learn from. Number, number one, I believe that was to guard his heart. He knew that he had to guard his heart. He walked this earth as the son of God. He was a man who knew no sin. But he didn't have God powers that turned off and on. He was a human being just like us who listened to the voice of God and followed his leading and, and moved in that. But how did he know 
to guard his heart? How did he know to walk in the wisdom? How did he know to stand face to face with Satan himself and say, I'm only quoting scripture? Because he knew to stay close to the Father. When you read the Gospels, Jesus often withdrew to spend time with his Father. I love the one where it says the disciples woke up and Jesus couldn't be found and they went to look for him and he was out in the wilderness all night long spending time with his Father. And the best way for us to stay close to the Father is to allow him to search our hearts on a continual basis, not just a couple times a year, maybe daily or weekly. I, I do it sometimes daily. I'm just like, God, just help me out, God. Did I really mess that up? Or was that person just, you know, coming out of left field and just blindsided me? Could I have done that better? What, what was in me, God, that I, I could have changed? Is there a way I could have dealt with that? I, I have to, church. Because if not, things just start piling up. So, so stay close to the Father. Allow him to search our hearts and then, then respond accordingly when correction is needed. And we always, we can't do this, not always can we do this by ourselves. This is what life groups are all about. You get into a life group and you, you find out that you can start trusting people. Maybe start trusting people again. You know why so many people leave the church? Because of people. And this is exactly where we need to be. We're all messed up to some degree. But some of us have got this figured out, and so we can help others. And when you're in a life group, you can begin to trust people, and you can begin to open up, and you can begin to say, you know, I really struggle in this area, and I think God is speaking to me about this. And then you've got a group of people who are joining you in prayer. And I guarantee you the Holy Spirit will show up. And it takes courage to do this. It, 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 it's, it's gutsy for some of us. It takes courage to ask God to search our hearts, to test our thoughts. <clears throat> and it takes courage to correct the offenses. You might have to go to somebody. You might have to say, God, I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I, I really messed that up. I I, I thought I was in line with what you wanted me to do, and whoo, boy. And God will give you the forgiveness and the strength and everything that you need. And you know what? He is a reconciling God, and he wants nothing more than for us to be reconciled with him and others. He'll work it out. But when we do this, church, here's the part that we get from this. When we do this, we are now led along a path of everlasting life. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me along paths of righteousness. We follow him along this path of everlasting life as we go through life here on this earth, in this dark world that is constantly messing with our heads and everything else, and people again, people, those people. But here's the thing. It is on this path of everlasting life that peace and contentment is found. Isn't that what we all want with ourselves? I want to be at peace. 
I want to be content. It's wisdom. Here's the thing. When we're on this path of everlasting life with Jesus and the trials and the troubles of the day hit us, it's not anger, anxiety, and past hurts that come forth from what's in us. It's wisdom and contentment and solutions. It's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but how many of you just got blindsided by life on your way to work or once you got to work and all of a sudden you were just like, oh, ooh, all right, here's what I'm going to do. That's Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit within you saying, hey, chill out for a minute. Here's what you're going to do. That is listening to the voice of God. And instead of that old self coming out, the new self comes out. That's being led on a path of everlasting life, peace and contentment. Listen, when trials and troubles come, and they will, we will automatically go to prayer and not anxious thoughts. Jesus will come forth and not brokenness. And that's what people around us will be the recipients of. And that's supernatural power coming out from within us. Listen to this, Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Have you ever done that? I, I thank God at the end of the day. I don't even know what I'm thanking him for sometimes. God, I just I thank you for all of it. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You see how we brought that full circle? What guards our hearts? Not us. The peace of God. The wisdom that comes from the contentment and the peace of God Almighty being in our lives. When we get to this place in life, we become like the robe of Jesus. We become like the shadow of Peter. We become people who are attentive to what is happening around us and in front of us, willing to set aside our plans for the hour, for the day, for the week, because we recognize that there's somebody in front of us that needs a touch from Jesus, and they're hurting, just like the woman with the issue of blood. Twelve years. Twelve years. It's coming. It's coming. Those of you that are like, whew, twelve. You mean I gotta wait till I don't know. Are we willing to set aside our plans like Jesus did? Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house. He, he, was, he was on a mission, which he did raise the little girl back to life. And you know what? When he gets to the house, he goes, it's okay. She's just sleeping. And everybody's like, sleeping? She's, she's dead. He brought her back to life. But there was a woman who needed her dignity restored. More than her health, her dignity restored. 
And Jesus took the time. You know what I think? I think Jesus felt healing come out, but I think he also responded to the voice of God. God's Holy Spirit said, stop, son. Address this. I, I think he did. And he, and he did. He restored her dignity. She became healthy again. See, when we're willing to set aside our plans to become the robe of Jesus, to become like Jesus to those around us, we become willing vessels for God's kingdom to break through in someone else's life when the time calls for it. We become willing vessels for Jesus. We begin to ebb and weave and bob, what, ebb, what bob and weave and flow and whatever. Because God will have us doing all kinds of things for him. The more willing we are, the more he's going to give us to do. Faithful in little, faithful in more. So I'll bring it home with this. Here's the thing. Inside each one of us is the desire to make a difference. We all have that desire. We all want to make a difference to those around us. And maybe, maybe right now you're like, I once had that desire. It's still there. It's always there. It's ingrained in us by God himself, our creator. We have this drive that, that we were made for more than what we are currently doing. That's our purpose in life. Our purpose in life is not our career. It's, it's not our family. It's not our schooling. It's deeper than that. It's, 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 it's the kingdom of God. And I believe that desire is given to us by God. And it is his desire that we join him in reconciling a broken humanity back to their creator. And Ephesians chapter 2 says this, for we are God's masterpiece. No matter how messed up we think we are, God looks at each one of us as perfect. Perfect. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. What are those good things? Joining him. Joining him in the adventures of reconciling a broken humanity back to their creator. That's what those good things are. And that's how we become a part of the story that God is doing here on this earth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you. I thank you so much, God, that Man, no matter where we are at in life, we're always one step away from being used by God. You know, I just get this sense that there's somebody in there that when I said that, you said, no, no, I'm more than one step away. You are not more than one step away. Every one of us has something that God wants to do for his kingdom here on this earth. Every one of us has somebody that is crossing our path or will cross our path that will not listen to anybody else but us when it comes to Jesus.